0: tonight I'm bringing a short series to a conclusion. I'm laughing and chuckling at myself because really it was a three-part series. I snuck in a secret intro to this on the day of Pentecost when I spoke about returning to Eden. The Holy Spirit, and he really is the only one we're interested in. The Holy Spirit does not belong to the spiritual realm as if he was just one of the spiritual beings. The Holy Spirit, alongside the Father and the Son, is the one true and living God. Yes. And because the Spirit dwells in us, we can truly say, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. And last Sunday, I spoke a little bit about the angelic side. The angels, we looked upon them in different terms, and you realize that by the time the New Testament comes, the term angel applies to all of the heavenly beings. They have different names in the Old Testament, including uh, sons of God. And uh, so we were looking at that side. Now today, I I want to talk about the other side. We could say the fallen angels. Those whom we must resist, headed up by God's arch-adversary, the devil, Satan. But more, more than talking about him, we're going to talk about Jesus and the victory that Jesus has decisively won through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his glorious enthronement at the right hand of the Father. And when he returns... He will bring in God's everlasting kingdom and the fullness of what God had in his mind from Eden right the way through to the book of Revelation will have been fulfilled. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might that there is my message. That's what I want to impart. And I want you to be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might so that you can stand and withstand. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The reality of the spiritual realm, we stressed that last week. And when we truly put on the, the lens of the Holy Spirit and read the scriptures as they were intended to be written, we'll no longer see the Bible in two dimensions. It's like those glasses that you put on to watch 3D television or in the cinema. And I can honestly say to you that there are so many passages which we kind of blur over, we kind of recognize and we say yes, this exists, but I don't think we've yet fully understood how important it is for us to discover the true reality of the spiritual realm and what's going on there. The realm of the heavenly beings, the sons of God, the angels of the Old Testament were mere messengers. In the New Testament, angels, kai is a term used for all, of the spiritual beings and we therefore tonight can rightly speak of fallen angels, that's the topic we're addressing. And we saw that from the very beginning, God chose to involve his heavenly sons of God in the government of his universe as a kind of heavenly council. He didn't need a counselor. He didn't need to create these beings. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't inadequate. He didn't need a whole set of administrators or co-rulers, nothing like that. Those concepts are pagan polytheistic concepts. But the God of the Bible is supremely exalted above all things, and in His sovereign will, He chose to have a heavenly family, sons of God, whom He apportioned, positions And responsibilities, and he uses them, and in many times operates through them rather in the same way operates through his earthly sons and daughters, you and I. He doesn't need us, he doesn't require our help, but because of relationship and because of the mandate he's given us as image-bearers, God gives us a high position on this planet and tells us that we are to rule and have dominion to be fruitful and multiply and therefore as images made in the image of God we are God's representatives on the earth and that's why humanity was created but then we read of a kind of divine rebellion and the original rebellion is the rebellion of the serpent the Nakash. And I deliberately go to the Hebrew word so that we can just get out of our heads this idea that the snake, the serpent, was just some kind of extraordinary talking snake, an animal like the rest, a reptile. No, this was a spiritual being. And there's indications, I'll come back to this on another occasion, that this was a heavenly being, legitimately present, so to speak, in the garden because. The garden was an open heaven, and it was the place where heaven and earth met. It was a a temple of of God. It was where God centered His administration. And and, and this heavenly being, this serpent-like creature, must have had a motive to attack humanity We can speculate and come back another time and go deeper into this, but it seems to me that this serpent did not approve of God's decision to give authority in the earthly physical realm to Adam and Eve. There is a kind of thing working here, and so he attempts to destroy humanity from the very beginning to thwart God's plan for humanity. Now God is merciful and gracious, and this enemy did not succeed. Yes, original sin entered and that brought sin into the realm of humanity, but God's mercy provided for the continuation of humanity so that we ultimately could be completely redeemed through the blood of Jesus. But that's not the only rebellion read in scriptures of other rebellions. There's an act of rebellion that leads into the story of the flood. In the book of Genesis, we read of how the earth had become corrupt. There was a corruption operating. And this corruption is like a kind of supernatural corruption. It is as if the fallen spiritual beings have managed in some way to bring a level of corruption uh, into the dimension of the demonic. And God says, as he saw the whole earth had had become corrupt, that the Bible actually says that God regretted they made humanity. But he didn't abandon his plan. He said, I'm going to start over again. And the flood was a new beginning. And God recommissioned humanity with Noah and the family saying, now you go and be fruitful. You go now and multiply. It was God's original plan brought back. But it's not very long after the flood that we see another great act of rebellion. Humanity joins together and builds a tower. It wasn't just a building project. It was a religious program. It was a rebellious act. They wanted to reach into the heavens they wanted to invite the heavenly beings to come and to bring an alternative version of God's plan for the earth then God did something very significant very important for us to understand he confused their languages and he dispersed the nations across the world and we now know that when God did that something happened in the spiritual realm. I want you to have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 7 to 9. Now, Deuteronomy, the the title actually gives an indication of what it is. Literally, it means second law. It is a restatement of the history of Israel, bringing fresh understanding and a fresh perspective oftentimes in summary form. And I want you to read this. This is one of the songs of Moses. He's exhorting his generation. And he says in verse 7, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided humanity he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of god the english standard version has the correct reading you can have a look yourself when you see the footnotes and things this is a uh, the best and most attested reading Other versions have the sons of Israel. Israel did not exist at this particular time without going into the technicalities. This is the scholarly accepted view that is talking about the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? This is the heavenly sons of God. Verse 9, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob his allotted heritage. Now let's just backtrack for a moment. We have Eden. There's interference, God does not give up, he begins again. And then there is the flood, God does not give up, he begins again. And then there is this incident at Babel, God does not give up, he begins again. And when he begins this time, he, in a a sense, and I'll qualify this in a moment, I want you to understand this. In a sense, he says, okay, right. I am handing all the nations over to the sons of God They are now responsible for the administration of the nations. He didn't exactly turn his back upon them, as I'll show you in a moment. But he said, I am now going to focus on one nation. And I'm going to build for me a people out of all the earth, a people special to me. He chose one man, Abraham, to reach all humanity. One nation, Israel, to reach all nations. One city, Jerusalem to reach all cities, but he focused on them. And in a sense, as he handed over the nations with their allotted territories, that's where we get the understanding of territorial domination, territorial spirits. It gives us an understanding of so many Old Testament scriptures. He says, I am now going to Adopt this nation. I'm going to be the God of this nation. And I'm going to reveal myself to this nation. I'm going to give them the covenant. I'm going to give them special revelation. Whereas his general revelation still operated there amongst the nations. A beautiful verse that helps us understand this is Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. So Deuteronomy and Acts are talking about the same thing that happened in Genesis. And he, that's the Lord, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. Now, the Apostle Paul, he is a great Old Testament theologian. Did you know that? His ministry is to the Gentiles. And the Apostle Paul has scoured the Old Testament Scriptures to find proof of his own ministry, to discover the intention of God for the nations. So the Apostle Paul is the number one expert to comment on The book of Genesis and all that happened at Babel, verse 27, why did God do this? He said that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, for he is actually not far from each one of us. Paul is speaking to the intellectual pagan Gentiles in Athens, the great philosophers And he is saying, God did not abandon you. Altogether, no, he left a witness. God always leaves a witness. And this is God's general revelation. And so God did, was not silent to them. He didn't turn His back upon them completely, but He chose to bring His special revelation through the nation of the Jews. And through that nation, we have our Bible. Through that nation, we have our Jesus. And through that nation, we have our salvation. And that salvation is not just for Jew, but also for all who will believe in the name of Jesus. What a wonderful plan of God. Yes, give God a praise. A wonderful, wonderful plan of God. And so what we now must suppose happened is that those principalities who were allotted certain nations and territories also became rebellious. In other words, they were not true to what God had called them to do. They themselves became corrupted and that's how we see the origin of all the thoughts, the philosophies, the ideologies, all the demonic elements that operate right across this world in the grip of the powers of darkness. And so that in many ways is a very quick Old Testament background to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to make some very basic points and simple points, but I want to make them fresh today because this is not rocket science. It's here in the Scripture. Now, some people can take these verses and get carried away with all kinds of extra biblical stuff. If we stick to the plain understanding of Scripture, we will have everything that we need to stand firm in the conflict that we are involved in as believers today, to be strengthened in the Lord and to know what it is to take our stand and walk in the victory of Jesus over the powers of darkness. First thing, It is a spiritual battle. No, 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 no. Really, really grasp this. The battle is spiritual. Paul says, we do not wrestle or struggle against flesh and blood. What does that mean? This means that the true enemy is the spiritual power the spiritual powers operating behind the scenes. And, you know, if only we understood this, we would spend less time struggling with flesh and blood and take this battle into the spiritual realm and use the spiritual weapons that God has given to us. But so often we waste our time. And I'm not saying we should not engage in cultural matters, I'm not saying we should not engage in political matters, I'm not saying we should not engage in social matters, all these things are the outworking of our faith but we must know who the enemy is. The enemy is not the person that you think is opposing you, the enemy is the spirit that is operating in society, through people, in places, and in positions. It's a spiritual battle. And Paul describes this battle as close up and personal. You know, he begins to talk about the armor armor of God, and he uses as his example a Roman soldier. And this was not cyber warfare. This was not some spotty teenager somewhere working for NASA and doing things to corrupt the different web systems of the world. Neither is this the warfare of intercontinental ballistic missiles. This is close up, cheek by jowl, eyeball to eyeball, armed combat. That's the picture here. And so this is a personal struggle that each of us face, and I venture to suggest we shall continue to face every single day we draw breath on this planet. A personal, close-up encounter on a continual basis with the spiritual powers of darkness who constantly oppose God, who constantly try to thwart the purposes of God, And who hold us as enemies. That devil can never be your friend. He's your enemy. Because you are the sons and daughters of God. Because you are God's agents on the earth. Because you carry the very image of God in you. You have an enemy. And one of the ways, is very, very simple. That they get to us to get to God they oppose us to oppose God. They try to pull us back from achieving God's plan for our lives so that God's plan through our lives would be frustrated. And here also we enter into a deeper understanding of the gods of the nations. The gods of the nations are not nothing. The gods of the nations are something. There is a word for it. They're demons. Let me show you. So these spiritual powers are real and they're manifest as the gods of the nations. Deuteronomy 32 again. And you should read the whole of the chapter because God describes how he chose this nation and nurtured this nation and adopted this nation. But that nation constantly turned away from him and, and at the end of the day, time and again, the one thing that provoked God above everything else, the one thing that spoiled it all was when Israel began to worship other gods. And this is, it seems to me, the enticement. And it's, this isn't ancient history. It is happening today. Those same spiritual powers are seeking to corrupt our society. Just get out a little bit, I'm sure you do. I make it a a, a great goal to spend as much time as I can talking to people who don't know Jesus. And so so many people of this generation uh, uh, as against former generations, they're not getting their theology from the Bible. You say, well, are they theologians? Oh, yes, every single one of them are theologians. They can speak about the gods of the nations. They can speak about these spiritual matters far more eloquently than any of us can. The trouble is they are being deceived. They get their theology from Star Wars. They get their theology from Prometheus, if you know what that is. Uh, They get their theology from YouTube. Videos which are unsubstantiated, nothing more than sheer demonic deception is being poured out upon our society. And I have begun to look at this. And do you know this process that we're in today began 300 years ago in the 1700s. It's not a new thing. It's come up in lots of different forms. Let's read Deuteronomy 32. Verses 15 to 18, here's at that portion where God says, I nurtured you, I brought you up, but it says, verse 15, Jeshurun grew fat, another word for the people of God, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked, you grew fat, stout and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to, what? Demons that were no gods. To gods they had never known. To new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. And that spirit of idolatrous deception is everywhere in our society. That's why we need to stick close to the Word of God. Never let a day go by without the Word of God breaking over your mind and cleansing your mind from the things that come. It comes in politics, it comes in the media, it comes in psychology, it comes in medicine, it comes in systems of counseling and philosophy, it comes in business management, causes, all of this demonic seduction comes our way. And I believe that this is one of the great battles of the day to keep our minds cleansed and pure, that we do not let any idolatrous seduction come in to take us away from the one of the true and the living gods. So also what you need to see is that this is the background to the New Testament understanding of Satan, that arch deceiver, and speaks here about the major methods, the devices, the schemes that are operating. The one who blinds the hearts of the nations, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, declares how that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest they see the gospel. And this is a a blinding on the mind of every single person who is governed by the powers of darkness rather than governed by Christ and his kingdom. Deceiving them through false revelation, corrupting secret knowledge. The occult, the occult basically means hidden, hidden. And it it is now almost not the right word because it it is not hidden any longer. You just go to any bookshop and you can see books written for teenagers of how they can master the arts of their cult and become teenage witches. It's there everywhere. And this is, as Revelation 20 verse 3, this is a description of Satan, the deceiver, the one who deceives the nations. And this begins to form into a whole variety of false religious belief systems, practices, and rituals. Ancient pre-Christian religions are flourishing again. Now, here's something that I face very often in Africa. We go in different parts of Africa and there's somebody, uh, usually, A person who wants to have a big, big, big go at colonialism, and I'm not here to support colonialism, (laughs) I'm a product of that, but I'm in Christ and I'm redeemed and my mind is cleansed. Uh, And the, the idea is this, is that you Westerners are importing a foreign white man's religion to Africa. Well, I'm sorry, it's too late. The average Christian in the world is no longer white. I don't know what color, brownish, but certainly the majority of Christians are from non-Western nations. And they said, no, we want to return to the traditional religions of our forefathers, not the religions of the West. I remind them of something. The traditional religions of the West before Christianity, are almost identical to the pagan religions in the developing world. And only Christ can change that. Only Christ can turn us away from the false belief systems of worshipping other gods, worshipping the gods of the nations, the seducing influences that come. Only the gospel. Today the average young person who is brought up on television programs, they get their theology from Charmed, if you don't know what that is, go and look at some of the old, they get their and they get the theology from Star Wars, may the force be with you, they don't get their theology from the Bible, the Bible is no longer taught in schools, no longer taught in the homes, That's why in our cell groups, we are putting the Bible back where it belongs, to the hearts and the hands of the people. Know your Bible. Teach the Bible to your friends. Teach the Bible to your children. Stand by the Word of God. The polytheism is everywhere. Have a conversation amongst the average millennial, and if they are not Um, Atheists, even atheists, however, go down this route. They are those who believe that there is some universal force and, and no longer do they say, God is with me. They say, the universe is with me. There is some animism that is operating. Shamanism is taught. Shamanism is taught in management classes today. Paganism, divination, spiritism, witchcraft. This is the new spirituality. Now, don't worry, I'm not gonna spend my time just railing against those things, I'm naming them. So you can be aware of just how pervasive this is. What is going on here? The false gods, the fallen sons of God, the fallen angels, what they want more than anything else is what Satan tried to get Jesus to do bow down and worship me the true nature of all spiritual warfare is who is God that's what it's all about who is God who is the one the true and the living God and there's great competition out there and these demonic powers want to draw worship away from God attract it to themselves And Satan, the arch adversary of God, wants nothing more and nothing less than we worship him. But we say, no deal, we will worship the Lord our God and serve him only. Amen and amen and amen and amen. So it's a spiritual battle that involves the gods of the nations. And in some respects, the Apostle Paul describes them. Not going to go into detail now, but there they are. They've come up again in the Bible reading. We read it very simple, and uh, here it is in my in my sheet. The, the, these are the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this present darkness. I like that. They're not the powers of darkness, they're the powers of this present darkness. But wait, a new day is coming when this present darkness will pass away. That's something great. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is nothing more than the old gods, the old powers, the old corrupting influences that have been opposing God's purposes from Genesis onwards. But the time is coming when God will assert the victory of Christ over them. So here we have the spiritual battle involving the gods of the nations. But what I really want to focus on and finish with is the spiritual powers are already defeated. Um, you know, I, I, I'm praying that God will raise up good Bible teachers Who will give us a balanced understanding of spiritual warfare. I said last week that nowhere in the Bible do we find an example of an angel with wings. I'm not talking about the seraphim of uh, Isaiah 6, which are not strictly angels, living creatures. Nowhere does the Bible show an angel appearing in in female form. I'm not saying that could never happen. I'm saying that so that we could test everything by the Word of God. And the Bible does not give us a great deal of information, but enough. And yet charismatic believers will put their personal experience without discernment above the Word of God. Trust the Bible. Be suspicious of everything else. Don't believe everything you hear. Even if there's a miracle attached to it, don't believe even everything you see. I'll tell you a little story. I've been, it's dangerous when I start telling stories because the time goes away, but anyway, it might, it might be helpful. I was in a certain place in Brazil and there were rumors of miraculous manifestations happening on Prayer Mountain. A mountain just outside of Sao Paulo. I heard so much about it and um, I wanted to go and um, so they took me and God apparently was appearing in fire or there were manifestations of fire. And there were people constantly seeking God and praying and Anyway, I never saw any fire. Didn't happen the day I was there. But I did see something. It was an extraordinary manifestation. I looked out onto, it was nighttime, I looked out into the woods and I, I saw a Jewish man praying and bowing just like they do at the Wailing Wall. I went up closely and looked at it. It wasn't a man, it was a leaf. <laughs> so, you know, you're conditioned. There's something supernatural going to happen. But nevertheless, that's fine. And I turned around and next to me, a tree was moving. It was moving in a way that trees do not move. There was a presence stirring in this tree. It was awesome. And I'm there looking at this, and the people who were with me, seasoned spiritual men of God, were not looking at the tree. They were praying. I said, what are you doing? It's happening here. He said, oh, uh-uh. no, no, no. We don't accept just anything. We are seeking God for discernment. I learned a great lesson. And after a while, they came and said, you know, we really believe that this is a genuine manifestation. We just celebrated and then left, left the mounting, mountain and left the prophets up there seeking God. Some of them were so out in the Holy Spirit, they spent days up there praying and fasting. So I, I tell you that story, not to prove any point, but to illustrate one point. We do not run after phenomena. If God gives us phenomena, then we don't even let the God phenomena dis- detract us from God himself. I'm putting together a video DVD story of my life, it's autobiography, and we'll be showing it sometime in the year. And uh, during that time we recalled the great things that God has done in this church over the years and recall a time when every meeting for two years, what appeared to be like oil came into the services on the hands of the people, how many people were around at that particular time? Wave at me if you can testify to that. Now I had a doctor look at it, and and we, we did not exaggerate the supernatural element of it, but we, we asked God, what did it mean? What did it mean? We we didn't detract, get distracted, and start chasing phenomena. We we said, God, if this is a sign that you're with us, thank God, but we we, we want you. And, and, we, and we let the sign point to you. So we have to be very, very balanced in all of this. So I encourage you in a new awareness of the spiritual realm, stick to the word of God, walk with Jesus, and the rest will take care of itself. Amen and amen. So here's the thing. These spiritual powers are already defeated. Many writers in the 80s and 90s on spiritual warfare, you kind of thought that, that they'd forgotten who was God because God wanted to bless you, but he couldn't because some demon was in the way. I mean, there is no demon in hell that can stop God blessing you. Nothing, nothing. How can the devil curse whom God has blessed? Come on now, come on now. Let's get back to the Bible. This is not some kind of struggle in which the outcome is uncertain and that God is trying His hardest but all those demons, those principalities and powers and I need a few more people to be flying in airplanes in the heavenlies to shout and scream at the devil. All of that is nothing but extra-biblical, spurious extremism. But there is a reality. And the reality is the spiritual realm exists, the fallen angels exist, demonic influences exist, and they are operating in our society every moment of every day. And we must stand firm in the truth of the word of God and in the victory that Jesus has given us. Very quickly through some scriptures. I don't want to just give the headings, I want to give the scriptures. Satan is defeated. Did you know that? Colossians 2, 13 to 15. Now, you can't be very long away from this, RT, are you? Uh, Colossians 2, 13 to 15. So get more when the good doctor touches on this in the exposition. And you who were dead in your transgressions and trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There is no legal demand that can be brought against you. In Christ, we are free. And if the devil could resurrect it, there'd be no charge against you because you are justified. You are washed. You are cleansed. That's the defeat of the enemy. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The enemy is defeated. The enemy is disarmed. The enemy is destroyed. Hebrews 12, verse, Hebrews 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. You can't get clearer than that. Did Jesus die? Did Jesus die on the cross? Yes. Was he raised again from the dead? Yes. That's it. Satan is destroyed. Now, you say, well, if he's destroyed, he looks pretty healthy to me. <laughs> You've got to understand this, that in this present time, the victory is complete, but not yet everything has been placed under the feet of the conqueror that is to come. And we will be there. <laughs> we will see it. He's also driven out. John 12, 31 to 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Do you know when that? When Jesus said that, that was after they wanted to bring the Greeks to see him, and Jesus said, "Hey, hey, hey, your day is coming." because I am driving Satan out, he will no longer have power to deceive the nations. The general revelation, you will be brought into the full revelation of the gospel and the gospel now is not just for the Jew, but for all the nations of the world. That is the spiritual power and incentive of global mission. That's why all nations are here tonight. That's why we go, I don't go on any trips. A trip is to the seaside. I go on missions to fulfill the mandate of this church that we should influence London and the world for Christ. RT does not travel just so that he can keep his air miles smiling. (laughs) RT travels because he is sent to bring good news to the nations to proclaim the gospel, to declare the freedom that is in Christ. And every time the word of God is preached and the truth of God is received and lived, Satan's kingdom comes crumbling down. Amen Amen and amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited and, and you know why. So Christ has conquered and he gives us the power to withstand the forces of the enemy. That's what this is all about. Paul says, come on, people. And he's nearing the end of his letter here in the book of Ephesians. Come on, people. There's a lot of bad stuff out there, a lot of evil going on in our generation. But hear this. It's time for you to stand strong. To stand strong. Not in your own strength, but in the strength of Christ, in the victory of Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and then he specifies how do you do this? He says, "Put on the whole armor of God." Now I'm not going to have the uh, centurion Brucius come and stand here anymore. That'll take some of you back 20 or more years, and take you through this week. We do it another time. I'm not going to go through the pieces of the armor, but I wanted to just make several points: is that you need the whole armor of God. I and mean, read through it. Maybe there's something you can pick up in yourself. Groups to have a look at exactly what each of these pieces mean, I want to summarize a little bit of it. First of all, every one of these exhortations has to do with the way you live as a Christian. It's not doing a Sunday school mime and putting on the armor that might be helpful as a, as a method to recollect. It's a lifestyle. It is understanding the gospel walking in the truth of Jesus Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing what it is to live right. Summarize again, these pieces of the armour have to do with two things. They are based on truth as manifested in the word of truth and in the spirit of truth. Jesus is Lord over my Spirit, my soul and my body. And no other spirit can lord it over me. Because I am full of the Holy Spirit. That's our position as believers. It's the Word and the Spirit. I don't understand our team. Why we have to do so much marriage counseling. To try and repair this divorce. Between the Word and the Spirit. What God has joined together. Let no one separate. God's word is the word of truth. And if you tell me that you are a spirit person and you are not a word person, I doubt what kind of a spirit person you are, because the spirit is the spirit of truth. The word is the word of truth. And Jesus is the truth. Let's get back to the word of God and be sure that we walk in the spirit. So it's a lifestyle based on truth, but it also has so, so much to do with prayer. Paul says very, very clearly, he says, don't forget to pray. Praying at all times in the Spirit. In other words, one of the chief activities of the Holy Spirit is to inspire us, motivate us, instruct us, and lead us for a constant life of communion with God in prayer. It is more than having a daily prayer time. Do it. Do it. When I was learning disciplines in this as a, as a new believer, I found the hardest thing, was to focus on what we used to call quiet time. My times aren't necessarily quiet, but that's what we used to call it. Time alone with God. And it's the discipline of setting aside a regular time. Some people want the morning, some people prefer the evening, some do both. But a time where you say, I am going to read the scriptures and hear God speak to me. And I'm going to talk to the Lord. And there are so many ways of talking to the Lord. There's intercessory prayer, there's supplication, there's warfare prayer, there's worship, all of this. And I was just looking for a way of explaining this, and and I think it is actually quite simple. Prayer is living and breathing the life of the Holy Spirit because prayer through the Spirit is our lifeline to the presence and the power of God. Step up your prayer time, and not, as I say, just the special times of prayer, that's important, but learn to pray at all times. And I I learned, as I mastered what it is to discipline myself, in those daily devotional times that it was not just sitting before God or kneeling and hearing the Bible, praying and saying, thank you, Lord. Goodbye. Have a nice day. I'll see you later. What happens when you push that discipline and continue in that discipline, is a quality of fellowship with the Holy Spirit that you carry with you throughout the rest of the day. And you find yourself praying, naturally, automatically, communing with God, talking to God. And don't forget, prayer is a conversation. You don't just talk, you listen. You listen as well as talking. So, those are very simple things. I want to conclude before we pray tonight. Thank you so much, singers and musicians. Oh, what do you take away with you? I, want you? I want you to take away this with you. God is calling you to be strong and take your stand, not in your own strength, but in the things He gives you. To know what it is, to walk in a Christian lifestyle that defeats the enemy at every turn. We're not always going to be successful. There's times I would venture to suggest on a daily basis, we look back and say, oh, Lord, I blew it. Help me. We don't come under condemnation, but we bring the stuff that we've done that has offended God or failed to do. I believe in daily confession of sins not because that's gonna, I'm going to lose my salvation if I don't. No, I just want God to be fresh in my life and I want all that stuff out of the way. And it's so easy. If anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, the one who turns God's wrath away concerning our sins. It's wonderful. It's victory. So you know who you are. Your authority as a believer as you stand firm in the victory of Jesus. Secondly, know who you worship. Get to know God and know that your heart belongs to Him. He is the one, the true and the living God. We don't worship the spirits of this age. We don't worship the stuff that pretends and takes the place of God. We worship Him. And we do this as a lifestyle. And then we pray, and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray again.